Traveling the Vortex. We've joined a renegade name changer as he travels the vortex and arrive at episode 530. Would you like Satsuma? I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Pretty good. How are you? I am fighting something. I don't know what. Uh-oh. It's on the verge of a cold or something. Gemma huh. has an ear infection and possibly strep. Good lord. So. You guys can't catch a break, can you? No, nah, we're dropping like flies. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah's had a sinus infection for like three weeks. I was going to say, you guys have been sick off and on for like the last three months. Just keep Ever passing since around. went back to school. Yeah. <laughs> Those school germs. Yeah, yeah. That'll do it. Just bring that home. Yep. Just, just lice all the kid before you send her out the door before <laughs> she comes home. Hopefully this means by the time Liam actually goes to school, he'll have a nice, strong immune system. (laughs) (laughs) You're building up herd immunity for your kid. Exactly. (laughs) I'm surprised you haven't just started bringing stuff home from the lab. (laughs) We don't want that sort of stuff. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) That's a lot nastier than what we have here. What do you got tonight on Chicken Fox? Oh, all right. Yeah. Keith, Keith gets home and he's grateful for <laughs> the low-grade viruses that they have at his house. Yeah, the ones that you can't really test for. <laughs> uh, did you guys do anything this week besides uh, have sick kids and be sick? I finished a book called The Space Between Worlds. I think I, I've, I've heard of it. I can't remember what it's about, but I think I've heard of it. It's about a future Earth that has learned how to travel to multiverses. Yes, yes. Okay, I, I do. I, do, I remember seeing that somewhere. It Pro- was on, probably on your Goodreads. <laughs> it's probably, yeah, my, my it's probably where I found, now that I think about it. I think that's where I saw it. Well, I found it on Goodreads too because it ah. was on like last year's best of lists that you get to vote on. So it was one of the sci-fi books that was in the running for best of. And it was okay. It wasn't fantastic. It didn't deal as much with the multiverse stuff as I would have hoped. I mean, it's there and it's presence, but it's more like she goes through this other universe and then comes back and you don't you get to learn anything about that universe because she's dealing with other things going on. Uh. And it took a little bit to kind of get, because it's future Earth instead of like present day Earth, uh, the entire society is completely different, so there's a steep learning curve at the beginning of the book. Trying to get the hang of okay, what's going on with this world, and how does how does everything work, and all this sort of stuff. And while she does explain it, there's a lot of it that's she. The author has the narrator explain the the multiverse stuff really well, but the actual societal things you're just expected to catch up on. <laughs> So that was my only complaint was I felt like I was playing catch up too much in order to enjoy the story um, when she wasn't traversing the worlds. Mm. But other than that, it was pretty good. Worth reading. Everybody see uh, Werewolf by Night already? I have not yet. Oh, no. You are missing out. You are missing out. It's good. 
you'll have to definitely watch that when the kids are in bed. But yeah, I uh, I think I and I could tell it was going to be this way, but I I think it's a perfect homage to both the classic Universal films of the 1940s and the Hammer films of the 1970s. It kind of feels like somebody just like took and shoved those together and made took the best of both worlds. And then a really, really good story, too. So, How about She-Hulk? Have you finished She-Hulk? You Did probably, not get to that. I was going to say, you were probably so busy tonight, you couldn't get to it. But you yeah. Did that and today is the day we took Jim to the doctor. So yeah. after, well, after work. So we we'll didn't see. get to that. And I'm still an episode behind on Andor. Yeah, well, Sean and I haven't even started Andor. We were just, <laughs> we were just talking about that before the, before the meeting. You are so far ahead of us on that one. <laughs> well, there we go. Well, and I'm, I am I'm caught up on House of the Dragon. I'm staying up there. Mm. So, Well, let's save She-Hulk until next time. So, Sean, do you watch anything? Um, yeah, nothing to write home about. All right. Other than, you know, Werewolf by Night and She-Hulk and uh, the, the, the aforementioned uh, goodies. So staying up with uh, Quantum Leap, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. Uh, episode three, I guess I'm still technically an episode behind now, but episode three leaned really hard into the, uh, yes, this is a continuation and the the mythos and the, uh, the lore uh, that had come before. And uh, the hand link original hand link made an appearance oh wow and uh <clears throat> I, I i told mel it was like um if this thing lights up and squeals at some point in time in a former episode i'm going to squeal i'm warning <laughs> now <laughs> it, it just sat there in this episode but if they if they, if they actually use it then I, I i might just lose it myself so. i think the thing that discouraged me was recently i saw an interview with scott bacula and he said he is not reprising his role he wasn't going to come back to it now he could be lying because they want to i think you I know think he's lying they want to make a, a big surprise about it but he he seemed pretty genuine in the uh, interview. I have a theory, um, which I'm, I'm I'm hesitant to share at the risk of, uh, of spoiling anything. So if you're interested, I'll, I'll I'll off off mic. I'll I'll throw it out there. But okay. All right. Well, I didn't watch anything. You, I didn't watch anything particular either. I did. Uh, I, yeah, we finished She Hulk. We really enjoyed the. We all really enjoyed the ending of that. Um, that's I won't go any further than that because that there's nothing you could say about <laughs> She-Hulk this week that wouldn't spoil things. So um, I really enjoyed it. I uh, I thought we're like I say, Werewolf by Night was really good. But I think that's all that I really watched. I don't typically watch much television, so that's it. They all say who. Do you collect Doctor Who? Do you have Doctor Who items and you don't know you collect Doctor Who? For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. I am Larry Van Rusbergen, your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who for 40 years. With popular features like collection protection and the most outrageous offer, we have a lot of fun. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point Network podcast. 
All right. Well, I don't see that we had any big news since we recorded last. So uh, let's go ahead and dive right into it and start our review. This week we're doing uh, The Eighth Doctor, Time War, Volume 2. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, The Eighth Doctor, The Time War, Volume 2. So I look at these thick glass walls, the jungle out there, the creatures that roam through it, the layer after layer of things to keep me confined, and I wonder. I must have been the most evil man in the universe. They've taken away my past, my future, my whole life. It's all gone! Why do you think you were sent to Skaro to prevent their creation? If you'd carried out your mission, the time war would have been averted. Instead, every death that has resulted is the result of your cowardice. What are you doing here? Blowing up this entire submarine and everyone on it. <laughs> A little old lady. Sweetness in twin set and pearls. Don't be fooled, Bliss. She's one of the most dangerous villains in the universe. You are to be exterminated! Uh, look, if we're about to totally explode, I'm not sure swimming's gonna help. This will be just the start, the first of hundreds of worlds, thousands. You're a near immortal renegade from beyond the stars. Far be it from me to take you off, but your war is over. Big finish. We love stories. The Lords of Terror. When the Doctor takes Bliss to her home colony, they discover that the Time War has gotten there first. Bliss finds her world altered beyond recognition after the population working to serve as and the population working to serve new masters. No dissent is allowed. The Daleks are coming. They must. The planet must be ready to fight them. I'm not sure how I felt about this one. There are elements of this that I really liked, but I don't know cohesively that it worked for me. Somebody else start. Uh, there were parts of it I liked too, but it also was overly predictable. Yeah. I could see the writing on the wall that the Time Lords were behind what they were doing, what was going on there. And obviously, I mean, it's the idea that, you know, the Doctor is taking Bliss back home and things aren't right. Oh, oh, that's interesting. That's cool. And how she just takes it all in stride is pretty impressive also. I kind of expected... um a breakdown of some sort from her you know, with the idea that her parents never or died and she probably never existed. Whoa. that That's a normal, I guess not a normal person, but a lesser character would have a complete breakdown and be useless the entire episode. And she wasn't. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Uh, so I really appreciated that. But then when we just kind of go along and discover, uh, I, w- I was a few steps ahead of the idea that the Daleks had never actually come and attacked. And then I didn't necessarily see the, what the Time Lords were doing. But then I, as soon as I knew that, realized that there were Time Lords there, I figured they were behind it and were doing something nefarious. And they were, and it wasn't very clear what the true end goal of the planet being a missile silo really was other than its missiles i mean it seemed rather pedestrian for the time lords to try to to utilize oh, yeah. i thought was i'm sorry go ahead, no go ahead. that's i i was just going to comment to that i i kind of 
I liked that idea of utilizing the whole planet basically as just a launching point for all these. Because I imagined it was like a multitude of these missiles that they were going that they were they had planned for uh, in order for this attack. And I liked the idea that they were. Well, I didn't like the idea, but it was it was it was a neat idea that they were using the uh, planet and convincing the inhabitants that the the that you know it was it was they were protecting themselves from this Dalek war. I kind of liked that concept and I liked the concept, but I, I'm with you on I think that the predictability level of it was there. Um my biggest problem with it was I don't I think Bliss reacted too subtly to what had happened. I didn't I also didn't want somebody that broke down and was worthless for the rest of uh, the episode or even for a you know extended amount of time but i think i wanted a little more of her rationale and reasoning with it and coming to to grips with it i think that's where they missed it as they didn't go far enough for her to uh, to it for it to affect her and so that was my problem in some ways um, at least what i got out of it is i i think they were kind of taking genesis of the daleks and flipping it it felt like the kind of core nuts and bolts story with oh we're building this rocket and we're going to go throw it at that dome and and do that well we're going to take that idea but we're going to make the time lords responsible for it and we're forcing the population to work on it and, and doing all it's like okay i, I kind of see where you're going from here and doing it from the other perspective is it's, it's kind of a neat idea um but i don't know that we necessarily got enough of that for it to really work because we kept bumping up against all the other well like he said it was just you know yeah it was predictable from the standpoint that yeah it's it's the time lords of course and uh, the, the, it just for, for for everything they set up when the reveal came it, it felt so you know they, they kind of went ta-da and we went well yeah was that all you had for us it was like a second-rate magician yeah, they, they kept pulling the curtain back and we went, well, of course, what else have you got? And, and, and then they would sulk off and go, well, what about this? And we were like, uh-huh, we know. And, it, you know, it, it just never really seemed to get any traction to go anywhere. I liked the concept, but I, I just, there, there were parts of it that were really well done. I don't want to necessarily take that away from it, but, and yeah, um, Bliss continues to impress me uh with you know she's she's turning into just a really really fantastic companion and i think this is another example of that is that not necessarily that she didn't have a reaction because she does she has a, a pretty strong one um and she rolls with the punches better than most not only at her planet being you know her her history being rewritten but then trusting this woman who turns out to be a Dalek agent and then having that rug pulled out from under her and um, realizing that, okay, now the doctor's going to call the Daleks to fix the problem, which that I, I will admit was one area where I genuinely thought for a moment he was going to do it. Yeah. I he he, he kind of walked that right up to the edge and there was a part of me that was still going, oh, surely not. Yeah. But maybe. <laughs> See, I just I I'm not impressed by Bliss at all. I don't think that they've been doing 
anything with her except for her being there. She almost feels like a tag along. I she was set up as this, you know, uh, engineering marvel in that story that we had um, with uh, River Song where she was going back and she was supposed to be collecting companions for her. Was it the 11 at that time? I can't remember which incarnation it was, but uh, maybe the, the nine, I can't remember which one of them anyway. And so I think my expectations were higher, but I feel like in both of these box sets, she's just kind of there. She's not doing anything. She's not a bad character. I don't, I'm not hating her or thinking that she's worthless, but I don't feel like they're doing, I don't feel like they're doing enough with her. I think there's just, she's just kind of been a tag along so far. She, you're right. She does take things more in stride than a lot of companions we've had. She hasn't been the necessity of continuing to ask the doctor why, because I think we find that with, with companions, especially when uh, writers don't know how to convey information to the listeners or the viewers. They tend to use the, the companions to ask those questions as a surrogate for the viewer they're not needing to do that in any of these stories. And maybe that's why I feel like they're underutilizing her, but I'm also appreciative of the fact that she's not there to be the, why are we doing this doctor? Why are we doing that doctor? Who is this? Doc? You know, she's not having to do that. So I appreciate that. But yeah, I agree I, with you that she hasn't really been given much to do from a, a, a genuine companion, go and do the standpoint. Yeah. Um, but as far as the questioning standpoint of it, I, I think that also has to do with the fact that, once again, we've gotten a companion from a, a, a future world versus a, a, a primitive or, or present-day Earth one. Where or, or now, any, no world at all. <laughs> or, or no, well, yeah. Uh, any, anytime we deal with a companion that is from Earth that is genuinely acting as the surrogate for the audience, we get those questions. Anytime we have a, a primitive, we, we get those questions because we are expected to, you know, they've entered this world of magic and, and sorcery and, you know, we have to kind of explain things to them. But with a companion that is from a relatively with it time period, I think the doctor steps back just a little bit and doesn't have to play Mr. Wizard. Right. And I appreciate and that. I can, I, I, I can, do too. I, I can I, tell I they're doing the breaks that. from time to time uh, with stuff like that. And I, I wonder if the writers adapt to that, that, you know, that we, we purposely get put in situations where we don't have to explain things or if it just kind of comes with the territory that you just automatically roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we, we, we definitely got three premier writers with this box set so i think that's probably answers the question as to why they don't have to formulate the questions for us because they know how to present a story without having to spoon feed some things to the listener yeah, that could be too yeah i also uh just kind of assume that some of her taking things in stride and not needing explanations or asking a lot of questions is based off of her you know her education and the fact that she was off to go visit to observe a temporal anomaly when it <laughs> everything went wrong essentially yeah, yeah and she wound up on the theseus so it's she has a temporal background so she can kind of grasp the concepts and roll with things fairly easy and she seems like the type of character that doesn't won't let herself become a victim yeah yeah I do think the uh, what I really enjoyed was the ex I think the exchange between Carvel and the doctor 
were just really impressive, uh, mm-hmm. especially in that dialogue where he calls uh, the doctor calls Cavill a good Dalek, and and Cavill calls him a coward. There's that that whole exchange surrounding that was just really intense, and and uh, Paul McGann again they just we keep singing the praises of McGann and his performances, but he just he really turns in a stellar performance again. Yeah, yeah agreed. That was really another does. element that I really liked, and the the moral and ethical arguments yeah. <clears throat> that were presented there, I I was very pleased with because it wasn't just it wasn't just a madman, you know, wanting to to to, to nuke the bad guys. It mm-hmm. wasn't just a, a, a you know a revenge plot. It wasn't just a you know we've got to win the war. It wasn't your typical time lord. No, uh, you know rigmarole. There were some understandable, process yeah, put understandable in. motives in it. You can really kind of sympathize yeah. with the re- the decisions that were made. Yeah, absolutely. And another one of those, you know, on on the balance of sheet of things. Again, not that it's not horrible because it is, but if, if we're talking about the entire galaxy or the entire universe. Uh, all of time, all of space, everything that's being consumed by this time war, is the fate of one planet in the scheme of things, if this could have ended it, if this genuinely had the the ability to, to you know, if they could have put, put all the data forward and said, here's the projections, here's the, 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 the facts, this will work, would that have swayed him any? Mm. You know, and I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, I kind of like to think that the doctor still would have said, no, it's not worth it. But because <laughs> that's who he is. Yeah, I think most of the time he would say that. But yeah, right. so there were elements of it that I, I very much enjoyed. And again, Paul McGann. <laughs> yeah. He, he certainly makes the uh, the medicine go down, as it were. Let's move on to Planet of the Ogrons. Avoiding the time war, the Doctor and Bliss are found by an old acquaintance, the latest incarnation of a criminal mastermind the Doctor knows of old. But unlike her predecessors, the Twelve has a handle on her previous selves' unruly minds. There is a mystery to solve involving the Doctor's TARDIS and its unusual occupant, and answers will be found on the planet of the Ogrons. Oh, this I, was, one re- I was hoping for the dun dun dun, Sean. I thought I, I, this I, one I, was I a enjoyed joy. this one. I, I enjoyed this one a lot. I really like this one. Um, it, it, this one frustrated me a little bit because I, I feel like instead of um, you know, <laughs> as as opposed to uh, Time Lord Victorious and the Time War, we really should have been doing the eight and the nine and the ten and the eleven, and we should have been doing those stories in order. <laughs> Yeah, it's fine. I don't think even Big Finish has done those stories. In a no, way, so they haven't. Matter. No, that in fact they, they've jumped around uh, that particular Renegades timeline a lot. I was, um, I'm loath to admit this. I was lost <laughs> through the first, I don't know, third of the story until they explained that the Daleks were inserting Ogrons into their own timeline. That, I, that, and the I doctor went, clever. oh, and then I went, oh. <laughs> and I felt like such a doofus for not getting that. <laughs> and then it well, became a, oh, that's actually very clever. But then I was angry that you made me feel stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so it's totally on me. It's not the fault of the story at all. It's totally on me. But yeah, um, no, it's... 
I you know I kept listening to this Ogron talk and go, why are they insisting that this is the third Doctor as an Ogron? And I couldn't quite piece together how that worked until they got into it, and then it was like, oh, okay, that's actually kind of clever too. I mean, every time there there was something that I didn't like about it, the story came along and held my hand and said, no, really, we thought about that, and here it is. And then they would spoon feed it to me, and I'd be like, okay. <laughs> and I just, I don't know why I kept butting up against it. I think I need to re-listen, because when it, when all was said and done and we got to the end of it, I went, that was actually really good. What was my problem with this story? And I don't know. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know what my resistance was to it, so... Well, let me ask you why? Why did you, uh, something I keyed in on that you just said was third? The, why did you say the third Doctor is an Ogron? What gave you the impression that you? What gave you the impression that made you think it was the third Doctor is an Ogron? Uh, there was a line where uh, they they referenced him having a cravat and a uh, uh, not quite a smoking jacket, Fro- frock coat, frock coat, frock coat. Yeah, well, but Which that's what that's what the Eighth Doctor's originally. first. Yeah, the Eighth Doctor's first outfit was the cravat oh, and the and the frock coat, and I, that was that was the imagery immediately I got. And then later it was reinforced because uh, the Eighth Doctor says, you know, lose the cravat. That's kind of that's that's you know, I've outgrown. That. Yeah, I've yeah, outgrown that. that. Yeah. Sense. And so, I yeah, know, I was I, now talked, it sounded like they were doing a per tweet. Well, but I kind of I, I sort of wondered because there is the comment when he says you've called me a, a dandy and a clown, which is a third doctor story where that is referred to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also talked about the inserting the Ogrons into their own timeline. And that's what I thought was really clever was the fact that the doctor, the doctor retroactively learns or remembers uh, the story now of day of the Daleks, which exists in his past with Ogrons, but it's almost as though we're getting a glimpse of a particular timeline where that hadn't quite happened yet. And now it has because it's retro uh, retroactively happened. So I thought that was kind of clever how they tied that in. And they even made reference to that particular story as well. Well, and it was such a brilliant way to do it because, you know, when when the eighth doctor says the Ogrons are muscle, the Daleks don't need them. Why would they, why would they employ Ogrons? And I went, yeah. Why would they employ? <laughs> and all of a sudden, those classic stories just fell apart. Yeah, I mean, yep. they just disintegrated. It was like, yeah, why would they deploy Ogrons? <laughs> and then they, they 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 held my hand and they fixed it. Yeah, like, they well oh, they okay. they well, yeah. I think that's what's clever about it is they prop it back up right after that in order to make it even more sensible that <laughs> they would be using those back then. So. Oh yeah, looking at the artwork, that's totally a uh... okay. Yeah, I, I, I never, I never got third Doctor vibes. Also, just based off the uh, album art. Let's see, I never saw the album album art on this one. I don't know why I did. I didn't either, but okay, that fixes that. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, the 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 Doctor thing. I I was certain that it wasn't the Doctor, and that it was somehow memories or identity implanted in this Ogron. So I sort of felt that from the beginning. However, I really liked how they kind of bootstrapped it into 
this particular story. I don't often like that because I think sometimes that's a cheat. And in fact, in the in Susan's War, I think I I I've, so that was one of my issues with that particular story. One of those particular stories in that one, uh, the one with the Eighth Doctor. But I think it was kind of clever in this one because it 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 makes sense that especially since we're going with a story where the Daleks are inserting Ogrons into their timeline, it's almost like meta in the way that they're inserting this Ogron back into this particular story. And so I thought that was cool. Oh, now, John, John Coleshaw. Yes. Doesn't he do the third doctor? He does. He does, yeah. Maybe that's where I got it from. That that could be why. Well, okay. You might, you might have heard some third doctor in there. because I subconsciously picked up on that, probably. I don't know how you I'm sorry, Keith. I keep I'm not sure how you heard any doctor. It just sounded like a grunty Ogron that just happened, <laughs> happened to be a little more intelligent. Nah, he, he totally had some doctor mannerisms hidden beneath the grunts. and. It, well, it, that, it, that was part of what was also enjoyable was they interacted with each other like they were, like the Ogron was a doctor. Yeah. So the eighth doctor responded to him like he would have if it were the seventh doctor or the sixth doctor. I mean, eventually it was it was yeah eventually once yeah. He, once he kind of accepts that, oh yeah this is me and then they're bickering and fighting and you know switching up sonics and yeah you know well it, it, it felt like a multi-doctor story i think the one that really grounds it too is that he's finally accepted that this isn't a, a dupe that this is actually a, a doctor um is when he asks dr ogron if you're going to he said uh you you know what I uh, you know what I'm thinking and he says yes and then he takes bliss and it was like they were at that point they were in sync and connected and the doctor wholeheartedly trusted that this was yeah. the right thing and so I that was really cool and the both both of them going I'm the doc he's the doctor I'm the doctor. I trust him to do this because he's me. Yes, and yes. That was it, it. Synced up really nicely. It did. And if it, even though this was time war adjacent and related to time war, it felt like such a sidestep from the time war that it gave it a different flavor and a different tone for me. A hundred percent. And I think that was another thing I liked about this is because one of my exactly. com- one of my complaints last week was the fact that they I feel like they've they're bringing the eighth doctor just a little too close to the time war because I never was in the imp- I, I always got the impression that he's just stayed as far away f- from it as he could. And so I agree. This one feels like he's just he's very he's enough adjacent that it doesn't feel like he's involved and that the the first story sort of although inadvertently he stumbled into it but the first story again felt very much like he's in the time war so yeah this one i, I appreciated for that exact reason and, and the time war aspect gives it bigger stakes mm-hmm. but this story could fit in in any other box set for the yeah. doctor mm-hmm. without minor without that many changes if any at all yeah absolutely i love 12 what the 12 is great the 12 is great she was such a phenomenal character and and interesting that she you know the the time lords are obviously calling up everybody even in the renegades (laughs) and to give her that inhibitor that suppresses her past selves and she really this particular incarnation 
really seems to have a grasp on things and a willingness to help, at least perceived willingness to help the Time Lords in this time war in this situation. So I, I liked where they start with this character in this story. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. It's another example, I think, of Bliss being a, a, a great companion because once she is presented with the facts that of oh, this Ogron is you, and she's like, okay. I mean, she's even more accepting of it than the doctor is. Yeah, initially um, she is. And, and much, much quicker. Um, and she helps convince him. She, yeah. Well, because the doctor, quite honestly, is... I don't want to say racist, but he, he comes across as very kind of almost cruel, um, demeaning to the Ogron initially, um, when he's describing, well, they're stupid, well, they're this, they're, yeah. you know, and, you know, and admittedly, Eight, but <laughs> he's not wrong. It's but not, admittedly, you can play dead and they'll bypass you. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's not out of character for eight because eight has every time he engages with a, uh, uh, enemy race or whatever he is very much this is how they are no giving you know he, yeah. he very much in a lot of stories he's done that so it's not out of character for him to treat the ogrons like that as well yeah and specifically the 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 enemy races yes you know, right, where, right. Where, where, whereas with anybody else he'll kind of give them the benefit of the doubt with the yes. bad guys but somebody that he's run into before he kind of defaults to the, the you know whatever the worst possible thing I can call you is, that's, that's what you're going to be called. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, bliss was just, yeah. Okay. No, this is, you, you should calm down a little bit because I think we should, we should, you know, tack on with this and, and see what, see what's going on. And then there was the ending where, well, first of all, I got to talk about the plan. The the fact that, you know, okay, we, we went and talked to the, uh, the Rograns and, and tried to convince them to fight and, you know, <laughs> they wouldn't, it was kind of, the, the reverse ends, you know, we're not going to have a long conversation. We're just going to say, come fight. Nope. Okay. <laughs> so, so then what are we going to do now? We're going to go talk to the gods. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to bring the gods back to the ends and the gods are going to tell them to go fight and they're going to go. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> what a great plan. <laughs> just, I mean, the doctor is not wrong. They are not smart creatures. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the stroke of genius. That, well, that was that was some next level convincing right there. And there's no dilly dallying about it. It's it's you go to one level and that doesn't work, and immediately he's on to the next level. And I like yeah. that. It was just it tracked right along. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's like cutting out the bureaucracy. Long, fall asleep. Right, right. Yeah, we're 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 not going to deal with uh, you know, we're not going to the prime minister. We're not going to. The, we're going straight to God. <laughs> <laughs> I just, that was, man, the doctor should do that more often. <laughs> he should just go to the, go to the deity, man. And then they pull a doctor's daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe that. I thought he when it was survives. happening and I heard the regeneration, when I heard it, I went, this is not regenerating, is he? And, and he does. And I thought, oh, that was really cool that they went there. I didn't expect that. Oh, I want to know how he's different, though. Well, I think that the, the one problem that I have with that is 
it's for the most part, although I guess the, what was it, the over overseer? What was he called? What were they calling him? The overseer. So the overseer, I guess it is, he is manipulating DNA as well. So it's not just implanting consciousness. It did, they, he did also in he some He was trying way, to fuse the two together. Yeah, so, yeah. so I suppose maybe the element in there of regeneration could be transferred that way. But that was just absolutely surprising. And you know it even it works even more so retroactively with our knowledge of the timeless child, yeah. and how the time lords basically took regenerations from the doctor in order yeah. to give themselves regeneration. So it, it 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 gives more credence to that now too. That's let's please not true. do that. That's certainly true. <laughs> no, that's a good point, Keith. I I I completely now want a uh box set of jenny and dr ogron <laughs> out doing adventures together i think that would be brilliant make it happen yeah. big finish make it happen yeah i mean if we can get 19 box sets of uh you know jago and lightfoot nothing against jago and lightfoot but i mean of of all of the spinoffs that that, that big finish has delivered on You've got this guy? <laughs> I mean, come on. This is the show, man. Yeah, I was shocked that uh, it was like, of course they're going to kill him off. Oh, here he goes. Yeah, the, the, the sacrifice play. Okay, here we... Wait, what do, what do you mean he survives? <laughs> and he's got a TARDIS. Yeah. Wow. Okay, it, it gets a done and a. <laughs> a retroactive done and a. Hello fellow time travelers and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit, and every two weeks or so I'm joined by a two to three person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979, that would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Allison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point podcast. All right, well, let's move on to the next one. In the Garden of Death. In a prison camp like no other, the most dangerous man in the universe is held in isolation. The rest of the inmates have no memory of who they were or what they might have done. No memory even of their captors until the interrogations begin. I feel like I was in this camp because I have no memory of why we were in this camp <laughs> it, it what the plot was it is it is a very middling story there's not a lot yeah. going on here and i need your guys's help with something i understood why the doctor was in such high security because of who he was and he they even gave him the designation alpha but did the daleks uncover the information from the 12 in this and that's why because the the information that they that she's basically suppressed in her uh many identities 
they they got the information right during maybe one of the interrogations or something. Yeah. The next story. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So yeah. uh, so I I did follow that then. So why was she not considered more of a danger than she was? It seems like she was. Sh- she should have been alpha. Yeah, not maybe not alpha, but at least on the same level. Make her beta, you know. But they they <laughs> seem to give her too much freedom. And again, the, the, they talked about how you know Daleks aren't are not imaginative, so they don't you know they don't think outside of just logic. But I I would have still thought the Daleks would have felt that she possesses at least this knowledge. She has a certain degree of 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 power and danger about her. Why didn't they put her under more protection than allowing her to kind of roam around and, you know, use uh, half, you know, what an android? I don't think it was an android. He was, uh, what do you call a cyborg? Uh, You know, (laughs) utilizing a cyborg so that she could, you know, sabotage the fence and the electric grid, uh, yada, yada, yada. So I just kind of felt like that she was being uh, under scrutinized by the Daleks. I could I be got, wrong. So, Go ahead, Keith. I got the impression that they stumbled across this information Agreed. during the interrogations. Agreed. So that, that it wasn't necessarily that they were interrogating her to find out this stuff. I agree. They just came across it. So but I think it's they some... Probably, they probably just underestimated her well, initially. I suppose that's true. Until they discovered that information and assumed the doctor is the doctor, so he knows everything and he'll... he'll give us the most information eventually and can free everybody. Whereas the 12, well, they, I, they look at and they underestimate and don't think they're going to get anything of value out of. Right. No, no argument that they wouldn't have put the doctor under high security. No, no argument there. Yes. I, I also I, that, think it happened late. It, well, then that's what I was going to say. So do you suppose it must have, they must have stumbled across it very shortly before she sabotages things and, and, orchestrates her escape yeah I, 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 even now correct me if i'm wrong because i'll be honest as middling as this story was i was starting to kind of zone out on it a little bit don't they take her after she gets to the tower for an interrogation and then the doctor does his flip and beams all the the daleks down to the planet and all the people up to the ship uh, that wasn't she gone? I think so. That wasn't the impression that I got, but no, because wasn't she with them all when yeah, they, yeah, when the, they, when they did the flip and, and wrote on the, what do you say? The coattails of the transmat be now, I think their intention was to transmat her out and they were going to bring her in for interrogation, but that's when the doctor flips it and ends up transmitting all of them the opposite direction. So I don't think she was taken. I think don't think she was ever separated beyond that point. No, but okay, I could. So I could be. It would have had to have been the time right before that that they got the information. Yeah, and maybe that's what triggered the awakening of one of the previous. That would make sense. That it, yeah. whatever, whatever they did to her in the previous interrogation awoken one of her previous uh, selves, and that's why she kind of started to behave a little differently. Yeah, attacked, it's, not not really attacked, but was willing to sacrifice the guy. Well, and, and 
it's somehow alluded to, and I can't remember if it's, it was this one or maybe it was at the end of the last one where that her inhibitor uh, is broken too. So yeah, it, yeah. that was another it was reason. At the that beginning it was, of this one, I think. yeah, that was another reason that it was allowing for her other uh, generate. Uh, yeah, her other regenerations to come forward now. Yeah, because we kind of learn in the next one that she is obviously jumping not to jump too far forward but a dalek spy and which gets implanted because of the interrogations and therefore i would assume that's when the inhibitors are broken when they flip her essentially yeah because even at the end of this i think uh uh Tamazin, 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 Tamazin. she was asking for the uh, inhibitor to be repaired she was asking alestra Yeah. Regardless, this was a um, this was one of those that's like there was a whole lot of nothing going on, and it it felt like realistically this was all set up to give that one piece of information for the next story. Yeah, agreed. And it was like, well, you could have just given us that piece of information for the next story and you didn't need this one at all yeah i mean we're in we're in dalek prison dalek prison stories are really never very interesting it did open it up for some good dialogue too because the doctor you know uh presuming that he had been tortured before and kind of rationalizing that because he was he either was a torturer or was (laughs) has been tortured uh, also knew uh very much enough about the prison uh he also speculates at the beginning near the beginning that you know obviously there's an enemy but are they the bad guys or are we kind of thing and i I thought that was a neat conversation he had with bliss about that yeah but right off the bat it's like oh paul mcginn lost his memory (laughs) well that's it here we go again (laughs) i think this would have been a better story at the beginning of a box set than the third one in yeah, like if probably. If we had started a box set with in this situation, I would have been okay. What's going on? How did they get here? What's going? Oh, why do they have, not have their memory? Uh, I would have been a lot more. I would have bought into it a lot more, and I've been a lot more interested. As it is, I'm like, okay, well, let's just get to the point so I can know what's actually going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Frustrating. Well, and it it, yeah. it sort of. Now that I'm thinking back, I felt like the capture at the end of the last one felt a little forced. And I'm almost wondering if that was written in order to move into this story. Yeah, accommodate this story. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do the last one Jonah. In the depths of an ocean world ravaged by the Time War, the weary survivors are pressed into service by Cardinal Lystra. Something is hidden beneath the sea. The Twelve knows the truth, if only she could drag it from her jumbled mind. And when the Doctor becomes the captain of a submarine boat, all omens spell disaster. But I love submarine stories. Every time he does the enthusiastic one, he ends up clipping out his microphone and we can't hear him. (laughs) (laughs) I can always tell because I hear the... (laughs) It overmodulates it. (laughs) I even backed up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you still clipped it out. Um, 
this one started out and I thought, okay, ocean world submarine. Now we're, we're again, borrowing from earth norms in order to tell a story about time Lords that shouldn't necessitate a submarine, but it works because they explain the, uh, the, the characterization of this world and this ocean and why, you know, you know, time travel doesn't work in this ocean. And it, it, there are certain, uh, constrictions that they have and so it don't exactly so it makes sense that they have to go by a more primitive uh means and it's not even the time the time lords have basically uh, uh confiscated this uh crew and well crews all of this whoever uh i'm not i can't remember if they said what the name of the uh people were but they've basically accommodated the um uh, things that they need in order to go find this, whatever the Daleks are digging for. So it worked when they kind of explained it and drilled it down that way. Yeah, right off the bat, it was like, what? Why? Why? Why does this sub captain sound like Paul McGann? <laughs> what? What are you? What is going on here? What are we doing? I. I, I Oh, it is Paul McGinn. Oh, what are you? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to like this. I, and then we get Alestra spelling it out for us in the very next scene, <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm on board with this. Let's go. I'm ready. Now that now that you give me yes, and uh, yeah, I just kind of went nuts for all of it. I'm I'm a big sub fan, so I, I like sub stories, and this had all the tropes of a submarine movie and the running silent and we're going to crash and we have to blow the tanks and depth charges and you know, all of that stuff is like, yeah. But then it also, I mean, we have Daleks that are, are you know, kamikazeing the sub because the weapon, energy, energy weapons don't work. That's cool. Uh, there were just enough trappings of the, why are we doing the sub story? that I was okay with it. Yeah. It was a little frustrating because it was like, this was almost the perfect setup for, I don't know, maybe I had the third doctor on the brain. You could have done this as a third doctor story on earth with unit. And, you know, you could have put him on a sub in this kind of adventure setting and it would have been great, you know? Yeah. Um, but, um, I, you know, I, I was okay with where they went with it and, and everything until we got to the end. And then it kind of felt like, Oh, it's another like the War Master looking for the heart of the planet that's going to be a huge thing to destroy people with. Right. And it's intelligent. And we're kind of rehashing that story again. Eh, okay. Um, when you when you set up a story in such a way that your MacGuffin is the ultimate threat to the universe and everything then sometimes writers tend to default to the misunderstood entity or beast or and i i sort of even saw that coming that the daleks would end up being uh, creating their own demise because they know they can't control this thing it's too dangerous and then i even saw the offering from the uh, entity, well, I can't remember what they keep calling it, um, 
to Olestra and the doctor having to say, no, wait, <laughs> and stepping in. So it just felt very tropish on when you've set something up to be this omnipotent thing. The omnipotent thing has to be the solution and nobody else can. And that's what they did again with this. Yeah, I love yeah, you, the sub tropes and did not like the sci-fi tropes. <laughs> yeah, you totally know that when it's set up that way, that ultimately the omniscient thing is not going to survive, and no one's going to get its powers because right. nobody could. Right. There's no, there's no way that anybody's going to walk away with that ability. Right. You know who could have walked away with it? Doctor Ogron. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Uh-huh. I'm with you, Sean. I, I really enjoyed the lot ride, but I just think it falls flat at the end just because of what we discussed there. So, Yeah. Overall, it was a good box set. I don't, I, it, it's a bit uneven uh, for sure, but I think it tells it, the narrative, with the exception of the first one, probably feeling a little out of place. And, be, and I think I saw somewhere or listen, maybe it was in the, where did I see it? I, mean, I think I read that it was originally the first story of this box. It was supposed to be a uh, John Hurt War Doctor story. And then he, he passed away. So they had to uh, change uh, some of the settings. In fact, I think if I remember right, this was supposed to have him ending up in 1984 in a, dy- <laughs> in, in a dystopian world. Yeah. And, and, and being very meta in that way. So, um, but I think overall, I, I enjoyed the box set. I didn't, I didn't dislike it, uh, regardless of the fact that the, the the prison planet one is is a bit meddling. Uh, I felt again bliss. I think she's she finally sort of feels like she's coming into her own for me anyway. Uh, you guys obviously have a different uh, feeling, but I think she starts to feel like she's coming into her own now because she, because she's kind of now that that sympathetic being and she also feels like she has something to do now because she's having to take over comms when the one gal dies she's you know he, she and the doctor split up to go find the 12 when the 12 you know has has escaped and, and and run off and so she felt like she was actually being utilized in this one so i think she's fine she's coming along and i i don't i don't dislike bliss whatsoever i don't want to make it sound like i think she's worthless but i'd really want to see them to continue to to bolster her and do more with her character yeah both the last story and this one had a lot more bliss and a lot more bliss doing things and being uh having her own agency of what she's going to be doing too yeah i think it's just I, i think where your frustration probably comes from is after the first story from the first box set with bliss where she's really fleshed out and established. And, um, you know, when they're, uh, or maybe not the very first story, maybe the, the one where they're trekking the across story. the jungle. World. That's the one that I think she's fleshed yeah. out in. Yeah. The um, first story I got confused with who she was, so. <laughs> but with that, with that one. And she's kind of, I mean, heck she's in charge of a Dalek at that point. So kind of right off the bat, she's, uh, you know, being given things to do and establishing herself and and her rapport with the doctor and how that all fits together uh so kind of right off the bat and yes as a companion she has taken a back seat to a lot of the goings on uh in in this one especially but i think they're going to get there i hope they get there yeah i hope she doesn't become a, a chariz or 
you know, <laughs> some of the uh, <laughs> some of the other Ace Doctor companions that have come and gone that just like never really did much. Lots of potential, and then they just kind of fizzle like they don't know what to do with them. Yeah. You were invited on an adventure across all of time and space, in a completely random order. It's the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. Jump in the TARDIS with your hosts, Eric Goldbranson, Asad Cheshki, and Matthew Kressel. Explore Doctor Who TV stories, audio adventures, and books, both novels and non-fiction. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. It's the entire Hooniverse. On Shuffle. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a member of the Direction Point Network and is available about once a month wherever you find your podcasts. You are listening to Traveling the Vortex. All right, Sean, what do we got coming up on the schedule? Well, I don't know if you guys had heard, um, but uh, Doctor Who's back. <laughs> well, not yet, but it will be by the next time we record. <laughs> will be by the next time we record. Uh, so, uh, the power of the doctor, the, uh, finale of the Jody Whitaker years, uh, coming soon to a television set near you and thus coming soon to a podcast near you. We will put the brakes temporarily on our time war reviews in order to bring you all the goodness that is, uh, the new who, uh, and then, uh, give you our thoughts on that, which I'm sure will uh, probably run long. <laughs> <laughs> Going out on a limb here. And then uh, we will uh, take kind of an extended break because we're going to be going and uh, talking about uh, a project near and dear to my heart with uh, the Temporal Logbook 3. We've gotten our review copy from our good friends over at Pencil Tip Publishing. And uh, we'll be delving into the goodies of it and all the short stories therein and uh, delivering uh, detailed reviews on those stories for all of you and trying to convince you to go out and... uh, order a copy if you haven't already now i'm not going to be lost because we didn't review part one and part two right not to my knowledge <laughs> i know it's an anthology book <laughs> not to my knowledge i suppose that's a, that's a fair question uh, no, it is a, it's an anthology uh, of doctor who short stories one for each doctor uh and uh, the theme of the book is changed lives and it's all about how uh an encounter with the doctor uh, can uh, alter your your trajectory of your life, either for good or for ill. So I'm very curious to see what other people have uh, have put together. And then, of course, we'll uh, on the uh, other side of that, we'll uh, bring back the uh, time war and continue on from there. All right, well, be sure to check out our website, TravelTheVortex.com, for updates on the podcast. If you get any value out of the podcast, why not consider putting some value back into it? You can do that by clicking on our Patreon link and consider supporting us. If you already support us, thank you very much. And we are, we actually have two pieces of new content out there. So if you're you're uh, not subscribed, you can, you can become a patron. And it only takes, I think, a buck a month in order to uh, be a patron and, and help us out and help us keep this show going. Uh, and you get a little, little, a few uh, little extras as well. Also, please consider giving us a five-star review wherever you subscribe to this podcast. I've noticed a few more aggregators have picked us up now, so we're we're making the rounds out there. Just make sure you uh, review us so that we can uh, get uh, in front of other listeners as well. And make sure, su- yes, and make sure you join in the conversations in our listeners forum on Facebook. 
Well, if that is it for this time, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.